0: Welcome to the Nash Biz Podcast, a podcast specifically for business owners in Nashville, Tennessee. Whether you're seeking the best strategies for scaling your business, networking opportunities, or just plain old entertainment, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the show. What is up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am one of the hosts of the Nash Biz podcast. Here with my co-host and business partner, John Trusty, and we have a very special guest today, Emily Bruce. Emily is the CEO and founder of Determinism, the developer of the platform PeerConnect. She's a board-certified and licensed behavioral, behavior analyst Prior to committing to Peer Connect as a CEO full-time, she owned and operated a small applied behavior analysis practice in Nashville, where she applied her therapeutic skills and scientific knowledge of behavior to work with children and families of children with special needs. As a BCBA, she worked in schools, clinical settings, the community, and homes of individuals on the autism spectrum and individuals with special needs. Emily, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, Bray, for having me. I-, I really enjoy being here.
0: Yeah, we're glad to have you on and to really break down Peer Connect and how you came to create Peer Connect. Before we do that, let's assume that me and you were on elevator together. We're on floor 12, we're going down to floor one. What is your elevator pitch of who Emily Bruce is?
1: So who I am or who the what I've created, those are two different things, right? Your. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm the CEO and founder of Determinism. We created the Peer Connect platform, which is a mobile and um, web-based application that uh, facilitates the process of peer-to-peer connection for children with special needs. So basically, we build friendships and social connections for children with special needs by bridging the gap between parents, caretakers, and therapists with uh, smartphone technology.
0: So with Peer Connect, obviously, you're solving a the problem there. What, why did you want to solve this problem?
1: Well, um, there, there's several different reasons. You know, I had some personal, um, you know, life stuff that has happened to me when I was growing up. Um, You know, I moved around a lot, so it was really hard to make friends. And sometimes I didn't have friends. Um, And then, you know, went through a life change about 11 years ago, went through a divorce, um, went to graduate school, got my degree in psychology and then behavior analysis And, you know, it was really hard on my children. So I saw them struggle with making friends at different times. Um, And then, you know, after I received my graduate degree, I became a behavior analyst and I started working with children with special needs. And so I just saw them going through the same experiences that I personally had, that my children had, but um, there's a difference. So for them, it's almost impossible to make those connections. And I had parents asking me like, hey, can you connect me with... Um, somebody else's client. Maybe we can do a, a play date or go on a social outing or do something. Um, and it was impossible to get connected with my colleagues just so that my clients could have a play date. Uh, and I had one experience. So I just kept having that. And I, I was thinking, why, don't, why isn't there something out there that can connect these families? And um, so I, I had the idea for the app, you know, almost immediately after I entered the field of behavior analysis. Um, because I just kept having those experiences and I would be the best friend of my clients. So whether they're four, five, 10 or 15, I'm their best friend. Right. So I show up, we, we interact socially. We have play skills. We work on those, but I'm their therapist. I'm not their friend. Um, and, you know, of course I, I bring that friend energy and that mom energy, but I would love for them to have friends to interact with. Um, and so I had one experience with a client where my son Um, who was a young teenager at the time actually had to go with me to one of my sessions. And and I was just going to have him sit, you know, at this community center and just play his switch and wait for me while I was working on social skills with my client. i had been hired by a school district to work with this kiddo and they were about the same age. And um, we, you know, my, my client's mom asked if my son could join us. So we, we went in this little room, they start playing super Mario brothers And I'm watching these two boys play video games together. And my client's mom said, I've tried to get him connected. He's never had a play date before. This is the first time Um, I've tried through church, school, social media, and I've never been able to get him connected. And in that moment, it just broke my heart because I'm thinking these boys are the same age. And my son was able to get connected um, and I was able to help him overcome certain things so that he could make friends, but my client just, he's going to keep continuing to grow and not have those social connections. So that was the moment that I was like, I have to do something about this. And so that was when Peer Connect was was developed. Um, I connected with my now business partner, who was a friend, uh, who's a software developer, and he coded the application for me. And so here we are. Wow,
2: That's that was a long
1: story, <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
2: So talk to us a little bit about some of the troubles you had when, when building this. So you have this idea that you have seen that the market is craving for, right? The kids need the connections, but from there until a finished software or application, that's quite a bit of work. And there had to have been some issues that arise during that.
1: Yeah. So um, in the beginning, it was just me and my business partner, Aaron. And We're both PhD students. So, you know, we're doing that. I'm a mom. This is very time consuming coding. Um, There were times that we would build something and then abandon that and then rebuild it. Um, In the beginning, it was just, it was just um, connecting a parent with a parent or a parent with a therapist or a therapist with a therapist. And that was, that was all we were going to do. And then we started adding features. And then of course the pandemic happened. So, uh, we had to add virtual play dates. So before COVID, it was just in-person play dates. Um, and then we were like, well, what about birthday parties and other social parties, like Halloween parties or holiday parties or a karaoke party? So that was a feature that we added also. So a, a parent could say, hey, I want, um, you know, I want my son to have a birthday party. I want five kiddos to come and, you know, they can see who's, who's requesting to join this birthday party. Um, and they can accept or not accept. So these were all features that just kind of built over time. And then we added the chat feature, push notifications, the uh, a place for businesses that host events to post those events. So it's, it's um, I mean, it is a lot. I thought, you know, I always joke when I meet with people and say, I thought it would take a month to develop this. <laughs> it took three years because I don't right. know anything about software development. Um, but it was just, you know, it, it was it was a labor of love for both of us. We really wanted to help families, and that was what motivated us and kept us going, even when difficult times happen, like a pandemic. You know, you're creating um, an application that connects people, for, you know, for in-person playdates to be social. And during a pandemic, people can't be social; they can't get together. So we were like, we're not going to let this, um, you know, bring us down. We're going to keep moving forward.
2: I, that was, I'm going to follow up on that, Brady, because um, that, that, that's what I was going to ask is how, how did that affect y'all? And what kind of what pivots did you have to make during the pandemic to make sure you were still able to connect the kids and the families together?
1: Well, so during the pandemic, we were still in the coding process. Okay. Um, and so that was when we decided to add that feature. So that was a whole feature um, and part of the architecture that had to be coded. So we had time. Um, so we just Aram added it. And um, then we, you know, we just extended our time to launch. So in the beginning, I was kind of in a hurry. I was like, this is needed. This is needed. Let's do it. But then as time went on, I realized I had to be very patient and just let it happen as it needed to. So um, in the beginning, we didn't have ID verification but we added ID verification. So we embedded that into the application, um, Accuent, which if you've ever deposited a check or have had your ID verified you know for whatever reason, um, it's the same technology. So they, they um, verify a user in real time. And then as a mom, I was thinking, I don't really want people that don't know each other to meet at each other's homes. That would just be weird for me. So we embedded uh, Google Assist, which suggest locations near the user you know like a jump center or a park or a library someplace fun for the for them to post their play date so i think it was okay that it naturally evolved and even with the pandemic it just allowed us some more time like took some of that pressure off to to you know get it finished get it out there and we just took a little bit more time to do all the the quality testing
0: that's awesome so you're a behavior analyst by profession and yes. you, you have this app Peer Connect. and I think at the root of everything, it's really connection, connecting people to one another. And here in your bio, you know, you work with children and families of children. Do you specifically work with special needs kids? Is that, is that the primary focus you have?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, so I transitioned all my clients out this summer so that I could focus 100% on Peer Connect. Um, but yes, previously I was working, I was working with children, uh, mainly children on the autism spectrum,
0: gotcha.
1: uh, but behavior analysis can be used for behavior change with, with so many different, uh, diagnoses or, um, there's organizational behavior management, which is what's used for, um, businesses who want to improve, um, just their organizational behavior with employees. Um, right. and so behavior analysis can be applied in so many different, in so many different ways.
0: So w- when you're working with these, these kids on the autism spectrum or with special needs and they do get connected to somebody else, how does that change their behavior?
1: Um, well, for my personal experience, I had one kiddo that I worked with, um, and we had the opportunity to um, go to the library every Wednesday, so I was, um, I was, we were engaged in intense therapy, which means I saw him every single day. Um, Monday through Friday for two hours, because we really wanted to improve his verbal behavior, his social skills, his play skills, and then reduce interfering behaviors, which sometimes kiddos um, on the spectrum will engage in like aggression or self-injurious behavior or eloping. So the more intense the therapy, the more time we can spend with them, the the quicker we can help reduce those behaviors and then increase the deficits that they might face, like verbal behavior, So communication, expressive and receptive language. So Um, I wanted to, I wanted to go out in the community to kind of help this kiddo, you know, stop eloping in the community and then also socialize. So we went to a library and um, it just so happened that there was another peer there that was his age who was, we would consider him typically developing. So the peer was typically developing and then my kiddo was neurodivergent and um, so they, this this child that we connected with he was very outgoing he wanted to um, engage with my client so I was like hey this this would be a perfect peer partner for us and he just so happened to be there every Wednesday for like story time or something so um, every Wednesday when we would meet we would get together and in the beginning my client did not want to make eye contact or share or engage you know sit next to this this other child but I would prompt and I would model and I would you know, do just use different strategies to get them to engage with each other. So um, that he quickly learned and developed and picked up a lot of skills just from this interaction every single week. So I guess about two months into um, us meeting with this friend, you know, visiting the library every Wednesday. So that's about, you know, eight sessions. We show up one day and our friend wasn't there. But there were other children in the library. And so I'm standing there next to my client. My my client's grandmother was there, and we're looking around and we couldn't find our friend. And my client decided to walk up independently to these other children that were there. And he said, Hi, what's your name? And I was just like, This is the greatest moment ever. (laughs) Because it was independent. He was engaging in, you know, social expression by himself. And it was just wonderful. And so I was like, Let's go get some ice cream. Let's go sell <laughs> it. This is awesome. Uh, so that was just a wonderful, successful moment that that we had because we were able to engage in that peer to peer interaction.
0: So you're, you're building confidence essentially at the end of the day. You're, are, you, are you making them confident being around other people and being independent and doing their own thing? Is, is that the goal pretty much at the end of the day as a behavior analyst?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, so a lot of times when we're working with our, our clients, we, we call it contriving the environment or a situation in order them to develop a skill. So um, it's kind of like learning how to play an instrument. You know, when you first sit down at the piano, you're not going to know what to do. But the more that you mm-hmm. practice the skill, the more confident you will become and the more fluent you are in engaging in that behavior. Um, and so it's the same thing. We're, we're providing them that support. We always say that success leads to more success. So when we're teaching them to communicate and express themselves, and and also, so when I say expressive and receptive language, I'm expressing myself and you're receiving it, and then your brain is processing that information, and then you understand what I'm saying. So a lot of times, children on the spectrum, they have those deficits and delays there where they can't express themselves, and even um, they can't receive the information. So sometimes people will say, oh, well, they're nonverbal but they can understand me. Well, what makes you think that they can understand you? Why, you know, it, it's, it's frustrating as a behavior analyst that people sometimes make those assumptions. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can't receive the information. Um, and so the more that we work on uh, those skills and targeting those deficits and improving the communication skills the, the play skills, the social skills, then yes, the more confident they do become um, to engage in, in that independent behavior on their own. So that's, that's what we're doing. And that's what Peer Connect does. It's, it's a, about making friends. Yes, we would love for all of our clients and our kiddos to, to make friends forever friends. Right. But it's also providing the opportunity to know what it looks like when you're at a play date or at a birthday party or at a movie so that you know how to behave and you learn how to, how to engage in those um, situations and experiences.
0: I love that. I love that.
1: Thank you. So aside from
2: connecting, um, or, or when connecting all of these kids and stuff, I assume the biggest issue is or, or the biggest concern was security, probably for the children to be not to being connected to the correct person. So is that where the IDing came into play? And that's why it was so important.
1: Yeah. And that's that's another reason it took so long to develop. So um, as a therapist, the first thing that popped in my mind was HIPAA compliance. And as a mom... Mm-hmm. I don't want nefarious characters around my children and I don't want them around my clients. Right. Right. So those two were like the biggest concerns of mine. So um, we don't have any identifying information that we are collecting that, you know, like insurance information that would link back to somebody being able to identify uh, because that's what we're worried about with HIPAA. We're worried about identifying information, right. And then connecting it with their insurance and everything else. So um, we, we have parents or therapists use like an identifier. So initials or for a, a therapist, they would use whatever their identifier is. For me, I always use numbers. So client 103, um, male, ASD diagnosis. This is their birthday, but that's, that information is, is uh, translated into their age. And then we have their skills deficits, likes and dislikes in their profile. And then even as the subscriber, so I'm, if I'm the subscriber, it would say Emily B BCBA. It doesn't even have my last name. Um, all of the identifying information for the adult who subscribes. So if it's a business, they have to go through ID verification also. And then if it's a single user, they go through that. That's all stored on the Accuant platform. Uh, it's not even on our database. And then, of mm-hmm. course, all payment for the application that's stored on either Stripe, where the businesses go through um to subscribe, they go through our web platform. And so they pay through Stripe and then families, single users would go through the app store and the Google store. So we don't even have the credit card information and we wanted to keep it that way. And then of course there's encryption from smartphone to database and back. So we really tried to think of everything that we could and do our due diligence just to protect our users. And of course us, but you know, we just, we. It's a, it's a, this is a vulnerable population and uh, we wanted to really protect everybody and not just the families, but also the therapists that are providing services. So we had to really think about that. That's great.
0: So, so as a behavior analyst working with special needs kids, the the way I think about it is, you know, in our audience right now, there might be someone who either has a special needs kid or knows someone with a special needs kid. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't want to use a therapist or an analyst or anything like that. What is something they can do perhaps at home or, you know, at church or, or with their kid one-on-one that can help them help their kid develop the confidence and independence to, to move out throughout life?
1: Well, um, I know there's a lot of, so the, the autism rates, uh, the diagnoses are increasing every year. Thinking. Mm-hmm. 2000. It was one in 150, and in 2020, it's like one in 54. But I think this year it's gone to like one in 48. I don't think that's an official number yet, but I've seen that in different places. And not so, to
0: cut you off, do you have a theory behind why that is? Because I've I've read that too. Where yeah, my parents, my parents are almost 60. They talk about how autism was a thing, but it seems like it's more apparent nowadays than like is there is there a reason for that, or is it just that the, the medicine community has gotten better at diagnosing it.
1: Yeah. I definitely think that there's um, better criteria to diagnose, of course. Um, and I know, um, and I'm not a geneticist, I'm a behavior analyst. So, it, so, you know, I might not say all the, ex, you know, exact information, but I believe there are 13 genetic markers um, okay. that might predispose you for a, a developmental delay or autism diagnosis. So um, typically, it's like an environmental tr- trigger. So that could be something you're exposed to that triggers those genes to turn on. So it could be trauma or it could be something else in your environment. So, um, you know, it's really hard to know. I think that research, they are really trying to understand so that we can maybe stop this number, because if you look at the trajectory in 10 years, what's it going to be? Is it, is it going to right. be one? Of them? in 30, you know, um, I mean, that's a huge increase. What is that? 152% or something in, in 20 years, uh, the the diagnosis rate has increased. Um, so I know that there are so many researchers out there trying to find out why, um, and to know and understand. So I always, you know, everybody has theories. I don't really share my theories. I just, you know, love these kids and wrap them with support. Um, because the why doesn't matter at this point. It's um, which I mean, it does. It, it does. So we can do something to prevent, you know, more diagnoses or the rate increasing. But once that diagnosis is there, then we really do have to provide these families with as much support as we can right. and be inclusive. You know, we say, um, you know, when I first created Peer Connect, it was um, for children with special needs, and. As time went on I was like you know anybody really could use this application so you could be a parent of a typically developing child and you can use Peer Connect and we wanted to say we wanted to model what that looks like so as the special needs community we are being inclusive to all families and all children and we're modeling that inclusivity so you know we just have to really we we have to be welcoming. We have to be compassionate. We have to be understanding, you know, people go through things. You never know what they're going through on a given day. So we're so judgy. We're so, you know, cancel conscious. We want to do all those things and we just really need to get over that. Um, And so, you know, I don't know that that's a hard question to answer the, the reason for autism, but it's here. We, we, we definitely have to support the families.
0: So, so back to the original question before I cut you off, sorry for that. What what parents can do one on one with their kids to help improve that confidence level?
1: Well, um, you know, speaking just from me and what I have experienced with my own children and with my clients, I you know, I love to spend time. You know, playtime is wonderful. Just interacting with them, understanding and recognizing when you might be pushing them just a little bit too much, um, because you don't want to become aversive, right? When I was training to be a behavior analyst, another behavior analyst told me, he said, you're the reinforcer. So we use reinforcement a lot during our sessions. Um, And some people call them rewards or rewards. That's not what it is. We're reinforcing. um, We're trying to improve skills and increase uh, skills. So you have to show up and you have to be the one that they want to spend time with. You don't want to be an aversive person. So just work on that. Just as a human being, you want to support and encourage, uh, pick up on their cues. What do they want? What do they want to interact with? You know, even parents of typically developing children, you know, spend time with your kid, play on the floor, read them a book, interact with them, have conversations. I always had conversations with my kids, even when they were four and seven, and now they're teenagers, older teenagers. And I love to just hear what they have to say. Um, and so I would just say that interaction is super important.
0: Love it. No, I think that's key too. Like I, I think I mentioned before we uh got on this interview, but in our previous call, but I have a baby who's almost nine months old and trusty has a baby who's almost 10 months old. So even though right they're babies and they don't really know what we're saying, my wife and I'm sure his wife too, like, hey, like talk to them, read to them, play with them because it's it's picking up on those social cues. And I guess teaching them to a degree of of how to play back and how to interact back. Um, So it seems like, you know, with what you do with behavior analysis, the same thing of of teaching them how to play, teaching them how to interact, teaching them how to be independent and and kind of go their own route.
1: Yeah, we learn through imitation, right? So you want to model really what you want your child to imitate, So um, it's so important and they're always watching us. So we really have to be careful how we behave, but um, yeah, definitely, you know, that interaction is, is super important and what you are modeling and, and interacting with a baby is super important. So I would Mm -hmm. definitely say, you know, you, we we call it echoic responding and behavior analysis where you know, they coo or they say something and then you say it back to them and then they learn the same responding because you want them to start learning words. So you might say dad or mom, and you want them to engage in that echoic responding. And they're they're going to start learning because they're imitating what you're doing. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's funny because we, my father-in-law has a cough that he, it's, they don't, they don't know why he has it, but he has a cough and he's had it for a, a long time now. And every time Callum, which is my son's name, he comes back from grandma and grandpa's, he does a joking cough and he's like, he's, he's imitating his grandfather. And it's, it is the funniest thing to me that he's like <laughs> doing these fake and it's, and he's just like, thinks it's funny that he's doing it. And it's very cute. It's very funny. Wow. Uh, but, but anyways, with the whole the whole shift to this virtual world, so you know we're on a Zoom call right now. A lot of in person meeting has changed to more of the virtual, and there's a lot of kids playing video games and spending a lot more time virtual than in person. How what kind of what kind of effect is that having on the mental stability of some of these these kids?
1: Um, well, I know that with the pandemic and there was a lot of online learning. I know that was really difficult um, for the special needs community for, for children in the special needs community, because a lot of times they do get used to their schedules, right? That this is what I'm doing. There's a process throughout their day. Um, and so I know a lot of families and I can't speak for all families, but I know some of the families that I worked with, they really struggled with that. Um, and so, you know, children with special needs, they, they experience higher rates of isolation, anxiety, depression, um, quality of life sometimes can be lower for their families, and so you know that's definitely something to take into consideration when we're making decisions like virtual learning um, and virtual engagement and and not going out and socializing with the community. It's it's important, and I think COVID really did teach us what it's like to be isolated, and a lot of the families experienced that for years, many many years, maybe even a lifetime um and so we kind of know what they experienced for the year the past year and a half right but life kind of goes back to normal for us but for them it doesn't necessarily go back to normal so that's why it's so important for us to have those inclusive environments and promote inclusion in the community and help them find ways to get connected Uh, a lot of times like moms you know I'm not going to say they're the only caretakers because I know dads who are the who are who are awesome caretakers of children with special needs. I know some amazing dads and um, but like if they don't get to if if you're a parent and you don't get to socialize with another adult because you are so engaged in that care for your child. And a lot of parents of children with special needs, they are going to so many different therapy um, appointments And then, of course, the siblings will also, um, you know, they experience some issues as well. If they are typically developing and they have a special needs sibling, they're not getting as much attention and they might not be able to go out and engage and make friends as well. So I think it's just important to keep those things in mind. And social connection in person is it's important. You know, I think we all experience that and we felt it. We were so lonely. We wanted to go to a restaurant so bad, right? And just sit there and have somebody serve us Um, or just go see a friend and just sit out and have a drink somewhere. Right. We're able to do that now. But like I said, a lot of times these families, they don't they don't get to do that. So even if they connect, a mom connects with another mom or mom connects with a therapist for a play date and they can actually just sit there and talk. You know, and say, "Hey, this is my experience. What's your experience?" Even if they have that 30 minutes while their children are engaged in play, or they're prompting their children to and teaching them and modeling for them, I think that could be super healthy, healthy for them, and helpful. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's like a safe haven for to connect between the people with all the 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 same similar the similarities that they have going on in their lives. It's just another place to connect and find people on the same path as you are.
1: Yes, absolutely, and then you can, we, we have filters, so we included filters. So a five-year-old isn't going to be connecting with a 15-year-old, right? So you can see the, the, um, the profile. And, and so if a parent of a child um, with a five-year-old requests to join another parent of a child with a five-year-old, they can accept it if they feel like it's a good fit. But if it is like a 15-year-old and a five-year-old, the parent of the five year old could say, Well, I'm not going to accept that. I don't think that would be appropriate, but it's just at their discretion, right? They're the ones that are making these choices. And they can also search for play dates using those filters by age, by diagnosis, by radius. You know, how close is this person to me? Are they 40 miles away or are they five miles away? And then by date. So we try to make it, you know, extremely user friendly and helpful and try to think of all those features. But we feel like it will evolve over time and we'll we'll add other features as well.
2: Right. That leads me into my last question before Brady wraps us up. What's next for you and Peer Connect? What are the next goals and, and objectives you're trying to reach?
1: Well, so we did our beta launch a few months ago, and then we updated our technology based on the feedback we received. We did it in a very small area, and we just launched in October or So I'm sorry, the the end of September nationwide. So we're making connections all across the country with therapy practices, other disability organizations, podcasts, everybody, um, just to get the word out. So what we're we're focused on just getting our user base built um, because we don't want just one user in one area and then they can't get connected. We need you know, users everywhere just yes. so that these connections can happen. So that's what's next for us is that, and that's, what's, that's what we're focusing on at this time.
0: That's awesome. Love it. So Emily, as we wrap up, you're obviously involved in a lot. Uh, you're still in school. Is that right? Getting your PhD?
1: Yes. I'm working on my dissertation. So I'm almost done.
0: So I know that's a lot. Uh, you is. have family, you have this app, you're a behavior analyst. We're wrapping up, right? And I think a lot of people out there are listeners, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners, business leaders. And we, I think we all have an ego thinking we can achieve great things on every level, professional, financial, and personal, Mm -hmm. but there's an art to balancing everything and being present in all areas. How do you do that?
1: Oh, well for me, so I meditate. Um, I have a meditation practice that's extremely important. And then I also just practice on Being present, like you said. So if I'm engaged in a conversation with my teenage son because he wants to tell me he plays the guitar, so he wants to tell me all about playing the guitar or this band that he, you know, he found from the '80s, that I'm like, that's what I grew up to. What are you talking about, dude? Right? (laughs) So um, I, I put my phone down. I'm engaged with him. Same thing with my daughter. You know, she's in college. Um, If she wants to talk to me, if she wants to call me, then I'm engaged with her when it's time for working on my dissertation or doing research, then it's time for that. And I just let my family know, Hey, I'm going to be working on this for an hour or two hours, or I do it when nobody's home. Um, And the same thing with peer connect, I designate time. Now, sometimes like we had a tech issue the other day, and that just consumes all of your time until you resolve it. Right. Um, But then for me, I make lists and I check the everything off my list. I make sure that I get it done. Um, I try to stay organized. So I just try to be balanced with my schedule, be consistent with it, um, set my goals, and really just, I try not to be distracted when something does need my time. But if I feel like I'm getting distracted, then I will just you know take a mental break for a minute. Mm-hmm. And whether that's going outside with my dog for a minute, going for a walk, going to the gym, um, you know, watching a five minute YouTube video, just something to reset my mind if I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed, but yeah, we, we can, we can do, I think some, sometimes it's part of your conditioning. And so, you know, um, part of my life conditioning prepared me for being able to do a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I do get overwhelmed, but I definitely try to deal with it and, you know, just calm myself down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's crazy because as I was growing up, you always used to think, or I I always used to think that multitasking was awesome, you know, multitasking get more done. But as I've transitioned into, you know, not only running a business and running a podcast, but I'm also a dad and I'm a husband and like I have my own hobbies as well that I like to do like by myself. And you have to be present because if you're not and you're multitasking, you're not really doing anything right. There's a, there's a saying that says, um, don't half-ass two things, full-ass one thing. So it's the same thing of, you know, don't, don't multitask, focus on one thing at a time. And I think being present, especially now more than ever is so difficult because, you know, I, I find myself just picking up my phone and not even realizing it. And it's just like, I'm conditioned to do that. It's a habit. So it's, it's something that I'm, I, someone like you who isn't involved in a lot saying you have to be present It's good to hear that. I'm sure my audience would would respect that as well. But Emily, thank you so much for coming on. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best place to do that?
1: So, our website is peerconnect.com and we spell connect with with a K K N E C T. So, it's P E E R K N E C T. Um, And so, we are on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn, Emily Bruce, BCBA. Um, And then, you know, we have our if they just wanted to reach out to us, they can do it through our website. We have a way for people to connect with us through our website. Uh, we also have our info at support. Uh, I mean, info at peerconnect.com. They can email email us there as well. So we we have multiple ways for people to get connected with us if they want to.
0: Awesome. Guys, you heard Emily. If you want to get connected, reach out to her or her team. And Emily, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nash Biz Podcast. We post new episodes every single week, and we'd greatly appreciate if you would subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.
1: We'll catch you next time.